Welcome to the Lightshine Church Podcast. I'm Rob Douglas, the organizing pastor of Lightshine Church, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen to our weekly message. Well, good morning, everyone. We are in a new sermon series. We're in the book of 2 Corinthians. So we're going to spend a few weeks um, talking and reflecting on this book, um, but a little background to get us started. So this is a letter written from the Apostle Paul to the Jewish community of believers in Jesus Christ in the city of Corinth, somewhere in modern day Greece. The Apostle Paul was the founder, we might say, of this community in Corinth, and the first to teach them everything that they would know about Jesus, the crucified and risen Messiah. Now remember, for first century Jews, talking about a crucified Messiah sounded completely crazy because they were expecting a military leader. So Paul had a lot to teach them, and he poured himself into this community, nurturing their faith, praying for them, and teaching them everything they would know, need to know about Jesus. So after Paul left them to go on to a new community, uh, things got rocky between Paul and the Corinthian church. Part of it involved the fact that the church turned on him. They started to question his leadership and wonder if maybe somebody else who had a different style was what they preferred. All this to say, it was an extremely painful experience for the Apostle Paul. And um, he writes this letter out of his pain over the church. Uh, He wrote them multiple letters. This is most likely the fourth letter. He mentions in chapter two that he came back to visit at one point, but it was so painful that he didn't come back for a second visit. At the time of his writing this letter, their relationship had improved, but it's important to simply note that he's writing out of his grief. And we'll hear in a minute, um, later on in the in this section, in verse 8, he says things got so bad for him that he considered taking his life. And it's possible he is referring to being severely beaten while he was in prison in Ephesus. All this to say, Paul is writing in this section about suffering, and he's writing out of his own experience. So let's pray, and then we'll open the scripture and listen to what he has to say. God, for your word that speaks across the ages, we give thanks to you. Lord, as we come to the scripture now to listen, we pray that you would illumine our hearing and our understanding. Lord, that we would be reminded again of your love, your grace, your presence in our lives, and that we might sense your leading for us along our way. Make it so, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up with me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to read the text from the screen. If it's on the screen, if it's not on the screen, then I'll go ahead and read it from my Bible. 
not seeing it on the screen, so I will read it from my personal Bible here. I always read the text if it's uh, highlighted for us, so that those of you who don't have a scripture, so that I'm reading the same text that you are. Okay, so 2 Corinthians from my Bible, which here is an NIV. The Apostle Paul writes, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all the saints throughout Acacia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our, in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. I have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we know that the Apostle Paul was a man of prayer, not just since the time he came to believe in Jesus Christ, but he'd been praying fervently his whole life long. We know this because he was a devout Jew. And so when he came to faith in Christ, his prayers simply shifted to Jesus. And in this section that we just read, we see evidence of his prayers and how God had revealed to him through his prayers some truths about suffering. God, the Father of all mercy and compassion, carries us through suffering and then helps us to carry others through theirs. Verse 4, God comforts us in our affliction so that we are able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort that we have received from God. He doesn't say that suffering is from God, but rather that God uses the experience that we go through to use us to help other people. Well, Debbie Jew gave me permission to share with you, if you didn't already know, that years ago she did just this. She started a support group for people who have Parkinson's disease at, and it was held at Westminster Presbyterian Church. I was on staff there at the time, and I can tell you it was one of the largest groups that we had gathering on campus every week. 
unfortunately, because so many people have this illness. But it was a tremendous support, amount of support for so many people and their families. And Debbie started it because she knew that when you know you aren't alone, it can really help you along your way, make you feel a lot better. Well, Paul goes on in verse 5, For just as the sufferings of Christ are abundant for us, so also our consolation is abundant through Christ. The truth is that sometimes we don't feel comforted, encouraged, maybe even loved by God. We've been, uh, we spent the last few weeks in the book of Job, and sometimes it's true that we feel like Job, maybe even abandoned by God. I was uh, recently talking with a friend, and my friend was sharing um, some real heartache about a loved one who was really suffering physically, uh, having a bad, uh, going through a horrible illness. And he was asking those questions, you know, that have no answers. Why? Why is this happening? And I was thinking about Job's friends who we learned were at their best when they said nothing at all. I was trying just to listen. But in the back of my mind, I was thinking about Jesus who suffered physically in his body and also in his heart, betrayed by his friends. Um, and how sometimes when we struggle, when we are in pain, focusing on the suffering of Jesus, that in itself can give us a lot of encouragement and strength for the journey, just remembering that our Lord suffered. This is the heart of the gospel, right? That God is in this life with us, not removed, but in it with us. God in Christ is in solidarity with us. And calls us to do the same with each other. Well, there is a great movement in our country right now of people rising up to be in solidarity with one another, to share in the experience of suffering and to say, we're in it together, all of us. George Floyd's death was a tipping point, it's now clear to see. Um, for our country. It's been a tipping point in our country because we see people of all races and genders and ages joining together to say enough is enough. African Americans have for too long been killed, continue to be killed by the police. Police are racist, not at all, but because racism is deeply embedded in our country, it's in our DNA, it's called our original sin. People are rising up to shine the light on our history, to educate about how racism did not end in 1865 when chattel slavery ended, but that it has simply evolved. It has evolved, and today we can see it through the racial inequalities that are all over the place in our healthcare system, our education system, different neighborhoods, by taking a closer look at who is in prison, why they're in prison, who's on death row, who gets off, who doesn't. And right now, there are new awarenesses of the need to listen to voices 
that have been historically ignored or dismissed or even silenced and together to rise up and dismantle racism. It's not just a problem for black and brown people. We are one human family, one human race, and what affects some definitely affects us all. And as Christians, we call racism for what it is. We call it a sin requiring our communal confession, our communal repentance. And so we see people taking it to the streets in protests. We are seeing communities rethinking how they do policing. States like Mississippi are changing their flag. Monuments have come down. Companies are coming out with statements in support of Black Lives Matter. Many different ways. People are rising up to be a part of this larger movement of national confession and repentance. For us as Christians, we might think about as living out the prayer that we say every Sunday, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, this earth as it is in heaven. When we pray this prayer, we remind ourselves that it's not just our individual hearts that God cares about, but God also cares about how we do life together. In fact, in biblical times, Old Testament and New Testament, most people's lives were lived very closely together. The focus was on the community, the public life. A private life would have only been known for a very small amount of people, the very, very rich. By and large, people lived in close, close quarters, all together, on top of each other, loud, messy, complicated, and the focus was more on the we than on the me, just as actually it is in many parts of the world today. The Old Testament prophets were speaking out about this communal life when they spoke about justice. Uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos, Micah, and others had a lot to say about the social injustices that they saw in their day, calling out to the people of Israel to remember the most vulnerable, the marginalized, the poor, the widow, the immigrant. Why? Because of course they were speaking the words of God that God cares about human suffering, all human suffering. Theologian Dr. Cornell West has said that justice is what love looks like in public. So when we work for justice and fairness in our laws, our policies, etc., we're working to bring forth God's love into our life together. And this is what Paul is talking about here. Paul says Christ is moved by our human suffering. In the Gospels, we remember Jesus wept over the death of his friend Lazarus. He shared in our humanity and calls us to do the same with each other. Our faith in Christ compels us to engage, to participate in these modern day laments for justice. Well, I wanna share with you that I haven't always wanted to think or talk about justice, not at all, because justice feels complicated to me. And it gets you thinking about issues of power, who has power and who doesn't have power. And it disturbs the status quo, which makes us, many of us, uncomfortable. 
justice feels counterproductive. And, but the truth is that God's work in me has been freeing me from some of my fears and pushing me into places um, that I haven't previously wanted to go because I sense that this is God's leading for me to be a part of God's greater work in the world. I definitely haven't always wanted to talk about race or racism. This is true. I've learned for most of us who are white, uh, side point here, a better way of saying it is not that we are white, but that we are of Western European descent. Many of us, myself included, are uncomfortable in these conversations. There are landmines everywhere. I worry about saying the wrong thing. I worry about making people uncomfortable. And quite frankly, it's confusing because I learned as a child that we were to be colorblind. Don't talk about it. Don't think about it. Don't go there. Uh, but here's what I learned more recently is that it's really important to learn and to reflect on race and racism, especially if you are white, so that we can see things as they are, so that we can see the biases that are for some people and the biases that are against other people. And if I don't work to learn to see things as they are, then I am a part of the problem. It's kind of like we are fish swimming around and trying to understand this stuff called water. It's very confusing and very difficult to see. And the truth is that as a white person, I don't have to think about race or racism if I don't want to. And for most of my life, I have not. But what I'm learning is that this choice about whether or not I think about these things is what is called privilege. Many people have no choice. They have to think about race. They have to think about racism all the time. But I don't. It's my choice and I can walk away at any time. It is my privilege. And I've thought about this so very much and have really been feeling like God's work in me is to press in and to learn as much as I can, as difficult as it is, about what it means to be white and what it means to not be white. And I would love to know if there are others of you out there who are hearing me share this, if you also are on a similar journey feeling like God is calling you to um, participate in God's work of racial reconciliation and healing in our world. Jesus, as always, is our guide. Jesus who left the comfort of heaven and entered into our humanity, humbling himself. He went there to experience and to share in our suffering, leading us to do the same with each other. It's been said that part of the way we can extend compassion to our African-American brothers and sisters is simply to listen and to learn and to remember Job's friends who were at their best when they said nothing at all. Maybe we can all find some new teachers to learn from. This is part of what my journey has been of late and what I've been realizing is how many of the voices that have influenced my thinking have come from white men. Now, 
not oh, not all, but the majority of my teachers and professors, the books on my bookshelves have been influenced, have been written, spoken about from white men. And of course, nothing against white men. Three of my favorite people in the whole world are white men, my husband and our two boys. But the perspective of white men has been overly represented in influencing my thinking. And the perspectives of people of color have been way underrepresented. So I've been looking for new teachers who aren't white. And this morning I want to invite us to all consider doing so. Podcasts, books, movies, there are no shortage of ways to listen and learn right now. For me, particularly, I'm interested in teachers who can open up the Bible to me from a different perspective. Teachers who can teach me stories from our own American history that I just learned as a child. And of course, teachers who are leading in this national movement for racial justice. The reason I bring this up is because who's telling the story matters a great deal. And there's no such thing as an unbiased perspective. One of my new teachers, Reverend Dr. William Barber, said recently, when we change the narrator, we change the narration. When we change the narrator, we change the narration. Who's telling the story changes the perspective of what we hear. It makes me think of when I was a kid growing up, I had two siblings, um, a brother and a sister. Uh, we were close in age and <laughs> there was a tremendous amount of conflict. And when we had an issue that we would be bringing to my parents or when they got involved, I was so adamant that they hear whatever had happened from my perspective because I knew that my brother or my sister was going to say something from their perspective that did not recent, not didn't represent how I saw things. Who's telling the story matters a great deal. And as people of faith and a God who so clearly through the scripture cares deeply about the poor and the oppressed, it's important that we try to listen more to the stories from those perspectives that have been least represented. A changed perspective can make the world of difference. At the end of this passage, Paul speaks of how his perspective changed on his own suffering. He says of all his struggles in verse 9, this happened so that we might rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. On him we set our hope. And then he asks the Corinthians to pray for him. Paul reminds all of us to look to Christ, to pray like our lives depended upon it. Well, I want to close by sharing a story with you about a friend of mine who lives in Tijuana. It's a friend from the Border Church community. I'll call her Maria. Maria was brought to the U.S. when she was a young child. She went to school here. She grew up here. She uh, knows English better than she knows Spanish. She got married. She had a daughter. And then, at one point, she was deported. This was before DACA, and so those protections didn't apply for her. And so she's now in Tijuana, and she's raising her daughter from Mexico. Her daughter is in Southern California. She is in Tijuana. The daughter is living with other family. She's now a teenager in high school, 
And as we all can imagine, this is incredibly painful for them both. It's been 10 years. Her daughter is growing up without her mom around, and her daughter is now in high school struggling to answer questions, trying to dodge questions about where her mom is. And a couple of weeks ago, we were talking on Zoom, and Maria said that one of the things she's teaching her daughter from Mexico is that it's really important every day, in the morning and in the evening, to thank God for something. Pray and just say thank you. She's teaching her this because prayer is important to Maria. It's been part of what's gotten her through this tremendously difficult 10 years. And she knows prayer will help her daughter. There are many things she can't help her with. She can't teach her how to drive. She can't attend her school events. But Maria, in this way, is teaching her to lean into her own faith, to find her hope in the Lord, to find her strength there, teaching her to turn to God to help her survive what, for me, is the unimaginable. And that's how Paul got through his suffering as well. That's how we get through ours, leaning into our faith in Christ, that we're not alone, but that he's with us. As we talk about this, this topic of suffering, I'm aware that I don't know um, what's going on with many of you and that some of you probably are going through a terribly difficult time. Or maybe you're walking beside a loved one who is. And of course, all of us are living through this pandemic, so we're all stressed out and weary and highs and lows of this time. So my prayer for all of us is simply that wherever we are, however we are, that we have a sense of God's love for us, Christ's presence with us in the midst of all this. We're promised that we're not alone. So let's do the best that we can to companion each other along our way, to support each other, to love each other, to extend gobs of grace to each other, and above all, to lift up buckets and buckets of prayers for one another. May God make it so. Amen. All right, well, we're going to um, turn to a time of reflection as we've been doing. There are a couple questions on the screens. We'll have three minutes to um, talk about this um, with option to talk about it with uh, whoever is in your space with you right now in your home um, or just to reflect on it quietly or as always feel free to put it in the chat and um, share it with your church family who has walked with you through difficult times and looking forward who in your life do you think God is calling you to walk alongside